Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you will do for us that which Jesus did, as recorded in the book of Luke, that you would open our minds that we could understand the scriptures. Amen. Our passage this morning, as you heard in the children's Bible, comes from Acts 9. It's the story of Saul's conversion to Paul. We've got 20 verses to read this morning, so I hope you'll stick with me here. Uh, If you'd like to follow along, you can grab your pew Bible and do that. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He answered, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a dream, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias will come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, "Uh, Lord, I have heard about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he is here with authority from the chief priests to bind anyone who invokes your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went, and he entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up, and he was baptized. And then, after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. You know, whenever I read or hear Acts 9, I'm transported immediately to the ninth grade. I went to a religious high school in Norfolk, Virginia, and that semester, my freshman year, we were studying the book of Acts. You could always tell when teachers were getting a little bit tired because on Monday morning you'd come in and they'd put you in groups of four and they'd say, this week you're going to take this chapter of the Bible and you're going to plan a skit. So all week long we'd like work on planning this skit and then on Friday we would perform it. And we were assigned Acts 9. I was with Carrie, Holly, and Elizabeth and we were really unserious in our endeavor to theatrically reproduce Acts 9. But whenever I hear this, I have this memory of this image of my friend Holly Seltzer standing on a chair, holding a light bulb, 
plugged into the wall as the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But it stuck, so I have to give Mrs. Posh some credit for that. You know, whenever we hear something from the Bible or even hear a story, something comes to mind. So I ask you this morning, when you heard Acts 9, what came to mind? For instance, maybe it was something you'd never noticed before. For me, it was the first time I realized how brave Ananias had to be. He even said to Jesus, whoa, 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 I, don't, I think we have the wrong individual here. I've heard of Saul, and he wants to kill people like me. But still bravely, he heard the word of Jesus, and he obeyed. Another thing that struck me that I hadn't quite thought through before was that Saul, who was used to being an authority and having power, all of a sudden was vulnerable. The frailty of Saul really stood out to me this time when I read this story. What was it like as he sat there in the dark waiting? But you know what really jumped out to me this time is that I noticed God appeared three times in these 20 verses. First, God appeared to Saul on the road in a dramatic way through this blinding light. Second, God appeared to Ananias through the means of a dream. And third, God appeared again to Saul, but this time through a person, Ananias, when he came and helped restore Paul's sight to meet his need. So this is what we're talking about this morning. God appearing, God pursuing people, and appearing to people. So for me, this begs two questions. To whom does God appear? All types of people. And in what ways does God appear? Countless methods. Scripture shares stories of God appearing in countless ways. I think of Hagar from the Old Testament. She was an enslaved woman. She was impregnated by the patriarch Abraham, and she ran away after she was abused. She was alone and pregnant and scared in the desert with no plan. That's terrifying. But God appears to her. God is kind and offers her a future hope. I think of Elijah, a powerful prophet of God, who just partnered with God for a dramatic demonstration of God's power. And then he was on the run, and Queen Jezebel wanted him dead. He was scared and running for his life, and he was exhausted and collapsed. And God sent an angel to come to him and say, hey, hey, get up, you need to eat. Then he made his way into a cave to sleep, and God said, I'm going to come. And we would expect that God would have come through a violent wind, a fire, or a dramatic earthquake, but God didn't come in those things. To Elijah, God came through a gentle whisper and tended to him. Jesus appeared to many people at many times, and one group Jesus appeared to were children, which was countercultural in first century Palestine. Children were not highly regarded. But Jesus elevated the status of children by saying, no, let them come to me. He beckoned them. And then Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to these kids. God appears. And to whom does God appear? Everyone. And by what means? Many different methods. God appears to regular people, horrible people. God appears to kids, unlikely people content people, the sad, lonely, and desperate folks, 
God appears to the educated and also to the enslaved. God appears to refugees who are leaving home because of war. God appears to moms, which I really appreciate as I surprisingly find myself the mother of five children. God appears to those who are prideful and think they don't need God. God appears to the powerful and to the weak, to scared people, to boring people, to the poor. God appears to the rich, to people who've lost their jobs. God appears to those who are well. God also appears to those who are sick. And God appears to those who may be stuck at home. God appears to little ones and old ones. Everybody. I don't know that I've fully covered everybody, but I tried there. No one is outside the reach of God's pursuit. And God is still appearing to people today in 2022. One of my favorite authors is a woman named Anne Lamott, and I'd like to read an excerpt from her memoir called Traveling Mercies. To set it up, she was raised by intellectual parents who felt disdain towards faith and educated in a similar environment. And later on, she went through a tough time in her life, um, ravaged by addiction to drugs and alcohol, making some terrible decisions. And um, depressed, she took to bed with alcohol and pain medication. And she was living on a houseboat, isolated from a lot of people. And of that time, this is what she writes. After a while, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me, hunkered down in the corner, and I just assumed it was my father, whose presence I had felt over the years when I was frightened and alone. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course, there wasn't. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. I felt him as surely as I feel my dog lying nearby as I write this, and I was appalled. I thought about my life and my brilliant, hilarious, progressive friends. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian. And it seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and I said out loud, I would rather die. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love. And I squinched my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning, he was gone. This experience spooked me badly. I thought it was just an apparition, but then everywhere I went, I had the feeling that like a little cat was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let that cat in. But I knew what would happen you let a cat in one time, give it a little milk, and then it stays forever. So I tried to keep one step ahead of it, slamming my houseboat door when I entered or left. And one week later, when I went back to church, I was so hungover that I couldn't stand up for the songs. And this time, I stayed for the sermon, which I just thought was so ridiculous, like someone was trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. And the last song, though, it was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape. It was as if the people were singing in between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time. 
and I felt like their voices or something was rocking me, holding me like a scared child. And I opened up to that feeling, and it washed over me. I began to cry, and I left before the benediction. I raced home, and I felt that little cat running at my heels. I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers, under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams, and I opened the door to my houseboat. And I stood there for a minute, and then I hung my head, and I said, forget it, I quit. I took a long, deep breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in. So this was my beautiful moment of conversion. This is so moving to me. God pursues us, you. God appears to us, you and me. Even this person who wanted nothing to do with God could not escape the love of this pursuing, appearing God. God's also in the business of appearing to us through small things, thousands of tiny ways, every day, all week long. In his famous work, Leaves of Grass, Walt Whitman wrote a poem, Song of Myself. You may be familiar with it. Section 48 reads, I see something of God each hour of the 24, and each moment then, in the faces of men and women, I see God, and in my own face in the glass. I find letters from God dropped in the street, and every one is signed by God's name. And I leave them where they are, for I know that wherever I go, others will punctually come forever and ever. The idea of God dropping little things, weaving them through the dramatic and undramatic parts of our days, is so different from this idea that God only appears through bright lights and loud things. It makes me think of a college roommate who was in a relationship she thought would end in marriage. It abruptly ended, and she shares this story when she was living in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia in the fall. So Blue Ridge Mountains, if you can picture the beautiful leaves that were just waiting to be discovered. She was on a walk with a friend, so dejected, head down, talking about all she had lost, and her friend nudged her, Katie, look up. She explains that she looked up and she saw the leaves and the sun shining through. And in that moment, God met Katie. A letter dropped from God through the splendor of creation. God is eager to appear to you and you and me. I've begun reflecting now on moments of my life where God has appeared. The most poignant in recent years happened last winter. We were living in Tennessee at the time. My husband's in the Navy. We move a lot. And this particular move I entered into with a really bad attitude. I didn't want to live in Tennessee. I didn't want to move during a global pandemic when I would have no way of meeting friends. And I was restless and angry really for the first half of the time that we lived here. And that was kind of bubbling underneath the surface of my everyday. I sought peace and I needed to hear from God. I developed a habit that winter, late at night, after the house was quiet, I'd put on my large puffer jacket, a little knit hat, and I'd slip out the back door of our house into the 20 degree night 
and I'd climb up the stepladder onto my kid's trampoline, and I'd lay flat on my back, and I would look up at the stars. The sky would always be so clear, and the stars would shine so brightly, and I could trace the lights of FedEx planes coming in and out of Memphis. And I needed to hear from God. The first night that I adopted this practice, I entered in with a cynic's heart. And I remember my conversation with God. Um, I led Young Life for many, many years. And if you're familiar with Young Life, it's a ministry to teenagers. And Young Life frequently takes teenagers away to camp in these beautiful settings. And they tell these kids about the lavish love of God. And then they say, hey, here are 20 minutes in the evening to go out into nature and for some of you to talk to God for the first time. And many of the kids do. And after the many years leading Young Life and leading these camp trips, I noticed there was a pattern that kids would come to me and they would say, Aaron, I saw a shooting star. God talked to me. It was amazing. And I, you know, I'm a little bit cynical. So over the years, I'd be like, sure, God, the shooting star bit. Oh, yes, he did. God talked to me. You know what I mean? Um, but there I was on that big trampoline, and I almost embarrassed said to God, I, uh, I need something, you know. Could you maybe send me a shooting star? And I, and I really, truly, like, forgot about that half-hearted, lobbed request. And I went on in my conversation with God, and wouldn't you know, some 10 or 15 minutes later, there it is. A shooting star. How kind of God, even as I remember, I think, how kind of you, Lord, that you appeared to me, that you sent me yourself in that way. I shared that story with a friend who remarked she'd once heard a preacher say, if we carve out a space for God, God will inhabit it. And that certainly felt like my trampoline moment. God pursues God appears to us, to all sorts of people, through countless methods. And it took Paul going blind to open his eyes to God's appearing. What might it take for us if we're not already looking for God around us every day?